Hey there, welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits from Las Vegas. Yeah, baby. And it was sunny. Hey everyone, this is part two of the AIM Expo special. If you haven't listened to part one, you should go over there now. Though you don't have to, but there's some good stories there. Also, don't forget to check out the Cafe Racer podcast. You can hear the roundtable that we recorded with them Mm -hmm. as well. Hey everyone, um... This is Liza, and in the room, we've got Knock and Naked Jim. Yo, yo. Hey, hey, hey. And we are sharing stories from our amazing weekend. Yeah. Wish you were here. I'm still digesting food. That's what we kept saying <laughs> about you, Knock. Dude, I, oh, oh, man. I, 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 I have a pansy, apparently, and I, I really like my sleep, and I missed out a whole bunch of good interviews and general shenanigans. Up so, um, Jim, pros. what's the rule if you want to- Missing if you cross. don't want to miss any of the good stuff, what's the rule? Just show up. There you Just go, show up. Mark. Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing. Like, I, I knew I was going to miss out on a bunch of cool shit, but I was like, you know what? I I want to be fresh the next day. And so I just kind of stayed in a little bit longer because I knew we were, this was what, Saturday when Supercross was happening? Yeah, it was Saturday night. And, and I knew we had like a freaking eight hour plus ride back home and Liza's bike wasn't as comfortable and as luxurious as I thought it was going to be. So it was... uh. I had to be sharp. Uh-huh. Okay, we'll go with that story. Yes, I am also a pansy. <laughs> there it is. I don't know. We went pretty good in the casino the night before, not. So, um, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, don't, don't sell yourself short. I think you represented good. Yeah. You needed a night's rest. Yeah, so, I got a couple of free drinks. On the on the last we were, episode, we were, gaming. we were talking about um, how I had the shine and mm-hmm. was Fuck. winning. I, and it didn't stop there. It went all weekend. I still have the fucking meat sweats. <laughs> <laughs> It went all weekend. At um, at one point, um, Jim was like, "Let's go play uh, something else. Let's yeah, go yeah. play roulette." Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, since I had the shine, he was patient and let me walk around. I had to feel all the tables. That was funny. That, like literally, <laughs> like I went to get a. I think I went to get a greyhound and a uh, like a bubbly mm-hmm. water for you. And I'm like, I gotta let Liza do her. It's like when the guy. What do they call the when the, with the the water witcher thing? Yeah, yeah, the divining rod. The divining rod. Yeah. Liza has the casino divining rod. And so he, had, I had, to he her. had said, so we're not gonna play this table. There's one table is empty because that he said that guy hosed me last night. He did too. So any of the other tables, and I walk the tables, and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. That's the one. And with we went dude. back there, and first time I played roulette. And so I just, I don't even know how this works really. So I just like, I'll just put it on my birthday. Hit. Yeah. And we hit too. We both hit yeah, on that yeah, one. Yeah. Jim had put it on that number two. I'm like, I don't know how much I won, but it pays off pretty good when that's you what, hit the number. Yeah. When you, that's what's cool about roulette is you really, it takes no skill whatsoever. And yeah, it's just, pure gambling. It's pure gambling. You just throw a bunch of shit down, yeah. and then every now and then they shove a whole pile of chips at you. And then the <laughs> next thing you know, you wake up the next morning with one pant leg on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then we played one more round, and I didn't win, and so I went, screw this. And uh, I said, Jim, let me show you. But my... we left We left in the black on that. We did. We both made money. I said, let me show you the slot machines. Let me show you how to play. And I picked a machine for, for and I'll Jim. Say, just I like am not I had, a slots guy. Just like I had picked a, a machine for Knock earlier. I mm-hmm. uh, picked one for Jim. And I think, how'd you do on that one, Jim? Yeah, one money. <laughs> yeah, I know. Every yeah. fucking time. You got this knack, man. <laughs> I think I'm trying to figure out what the secret is. And I think it's like the one with the most glitter on it, right? And, and it's some it's kind of novelty. It's got to have the spinny wheel. It's yeah, it's got a ridiculous spinning thing on it. 
Um, I definitely, I mean, all the way to like the last day when we're getting ready to go, same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for is... you guys. I go downstairs and I'm like, I just want another 115 bucks. You it did like, too. Fuck. It just kept going. Yeah. I, this, I think this is the only time I've left Vegas with extra money. And I think I, I walked with maybe 50 or 60 bucks. That's it. But normally yeah. I lose a few hundred because to me, it's like going to see a show, like go to Cirque du Soleil and throw a hundred bucks at it. Fuck. I'll go throw a hundred bucks on a Speaking table. Speaking of which. I, I ended up coming out over to grand in the black so that, that was a win-win mean, does this mean you can replace some of the shitty multi we have in there minus my wagyu <laughs> it was nice but um another highlight there though was a lot of our friends that have been there mm-hmm. uh so we got to go around so i wanted to give a shout out um right as first when he come in the big senna booth and our friend jocelyn snow was there mm-hmm. working at she had her her motorcycle on display and not just that but um our friend aaron sills who's going to be on the show in the future if you don't know who she is she's fast <sighs> figure it out ding dongs fastest Google. bmw on earth and she had the bike there. And not fastest woman, fastest BMW on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Austin at Twisted Road. Austin's like Austin. a shit, man. We love that guy. He lets he's us great. stash our stuff there, and it's kind of a rally point for us. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. And then um, uh, over at the Scully booth, our friend Terry. So um, he's been on the show before, so that was really cool. Hi, and, Terry. Hey, Terry. <clears throat> and actually... We, uh, we got to try out the Scully helmets, and Jim, you did a little demo. So let's hear that here. All right, Jim, how'd you get here from Santa Cruz? Oh, we rode, of course. There's what? no other way. What'd you ride? Uh, Yamaha FC1. FC1, nice. Nice, nice little bike there. All right, so this is the Scully helmet. The Scully helmet comes in carbon fire. We're both the raw carbon as well as every finish, the matte black and the white. Comes standard with a clear pinlock lens, okay? On the back side here, I've got some things for the first responders, a couple of emergency QRS straps here, nice little chin skirt. And the beauty about this helmet is it has a rear view camera. What? Yeah, how about that? Now, let me tell you, the rear view camera is nice to be able to see behind me, but the real value, in my opinion, is the blind spot awareness. That is really, that's the treasure of the helmet. Now, if that's not enough, it only it also slices and it dices There's you. More. Now, let me tell you what it does. Yeah. It's Bluetooth enabled. It has two speakers in here, okay? It is a voice command controlled helmet. Okay. So all of your music controls are voice command controlled, um, as well as some navigation on it as well, all right? I have a companion app here. Companion app is used to soar and communicate with the helmet all the navigational instructions. All right, you'll hear the instructions uh, through the speakers as well as you'll visually see your turn directions in the heads up display. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and also, also the companion, companion app also adjusts for the type of riding you're doing. If I'm on my R6, uh-huh. I don't want to see the sky, so right. I put it in sport mode. Versus if I'm in touring mode, I've slotted this way, right? So I see right behind me. That is cool. All right, so the way it's adjusted is real simple. We have a vertical adjustment here. Mm-hmm. We got a little front and back adjustment as well. And then we got a yaw adjustment. Ah, That's yaw, okay. not yaw. I'm from Atlanta, <laughs> but my engineers tell me yaw is actually yeah, a directional. It's an airplane thing. thing. Yeah. So try that on, and you yeah, should yeah. see behind you there. That's an extra large. Looks like you're a large, probably, on the helmet size. Oh, I think that, that works. All right. So adjust it, the helmet and such so you can see it. So how do I raise this up and down? You raise it right down here. Oh, raise that up and down, however you need to go. Okay. All right. So get it where oh, you can kind of see go. it. Okay. All right, very good. 
good. All right. Very good. All right, so I want you to try a test a test drive one of the voice commands for me. So I want you to say that. Okay, Scully. Now say. Check. Check battery. Did it come back with the percentage? Okay, Scully. Check battery. Pause a little. Say okay, Scully, and then check battery. Okay, Scully. Check battery. Jim didn't break the helmet now, did he? Come on now. Okay. <laughs> all right. Did you see the percentage come up at all? Ooh, I wasn't looking. Okay. Well, I was yeah. I was listening. Okay. You heard it. Also on that heads-up display, it would display the percentage for you. The reason I ask that is at the top of that heads-up display is where you see your directional arrows. Uh -huh. Or if we had nav navigation running, you would see it in there. Oh, there we go. Oh, okay. I can see it way better now. Yeah, you can see it much better. Yes. Oh, yeah. You just had to adjust that. I just had to adjust that. I, I, I told him. The There's the yaw adjustment. Yeah? <laughs> oh, that's Oh, wow. Yeah, so you cool. just got to try that. Like I said, the beauty of this really is in the blind spot awareness. Yeah. Uh, that is what I love more of it than anything. Now, one of the things I also love to do, I've got thousands of thousands of hours riding in the different versions of this helmet before we pass testing on it. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that. Legally, it was, sure it was DOT approved when I was on the road, but, <laughs> but um, I will tell you one of my favorite things, voice commands I used to use on it was, okay, Scully, take me home. And it would directionally bring it up and take me there as well. That's and that was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. That was phenomenal for that kind of thing. Because I would be in the middle of somewhere in North Carolina or East Tennessee, had no idea where I was at. And uh, it would just direct me where I needed to go. What does it say when you say, take me drunk on home? <laughs> so it'll, it'll say, you need to pull over. <laughs> wow, that is smart. It is smart. It's a smart helmet. Take me home. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I've got the app going on it. Might have Wait, all of a sudden some, some porn's coming up. Yeah, cool. cool. No, this is great. Um, uh, I'll put it back on. Yeah. But it's interesting because, you know, when you look at it, it kind of looks like a helmet, but then you notice some of the, the different features right, about right, it, right? right? Kind of the cool little tail where you got the yeah, rear the camera. Fin, the fin. I like the fact that it comes with pin lock standard. Yeah. Everything should come with pin lock I standard. I agree. Uh, I agree completely. When I discovered that, I'm like, it's brilliant. So and, those are just the little and things. And that was a feature I, you know, I fought hard for with our team because everyone else was, was saying, oh, we can just use a spray-on coating. It's like, listen, I'm also a swimmer. Spray-on coatings don't work. They don't work in swim goggles, nor do they work in motorcycle helmets, in my opinion. They they wear too easily, too quickly. Yeah. And Pinlock is the best. Why are you swimming in your helmet? You know, I am an all-round athlete. I like to work out. <laughs> it's drag. I need a little <laughs> yeah. extra drag. Some people use drag suits. I use a motorcycle helmet. <laughs> you know, I also really, really like the quick release system. Yeah. That it's in there and it's easy to see. So yeah. someone immediately can and see it and they know what got, they're doing. We've got the symbol. Yeah. For our first responder symbol on there. We put that specifically for that purpose. Yes, to get your, get your yeah. attention. Yeah. yeah. And the, it was real hard. I was like, okay, let's make it real obvious. <laughs> Pull. Yeah. <laughs> right? But I'm, you need that. You need that. Yeah. You really do. And, and it really does work great because if you're trying to get, if someone does go down, the last thing you want to be doing is squirming oh, yeah. a helmet around their neck, right? Mm -hmm. And so that really works out well for us. Um, now, the other thing that struck me is I thought it'd be a little heavier. Yeah. It's not a very heavy helmet, so yeah. you guys are able to keep it light. Three pounds, 13 ounces. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. thought that was... That's that pretty was... good with all the electronics in it. Uh, I'm, I'm very pleased with what, what, they, what they were able to accomplish on that one. And also the uh, little display in the corner, I thought it would be 
I don't know, either harder to see or too much in your right. face. And it seems like you guys found a nice balance yeah, of. Thank it's, you. And, and the, I thought the uh, display was very clear. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, it's not like, you know, it's crisp. iPhone crisp, but considering right. the size and the lightness, yeah. I thank thought you. it was brilliant. And I have one other question. In the back, I'm seeing some little. All right. So these Some little lights funny. in the back. So these are actually very sophisticated battery status lights. All right, Jim, the helmet, you know, I own product requirements and my list of product requirements was about five feet long, okay? Mm -hmm. But bringing a product to market, you can only bring a product to market with like two feet of those requirements, right? So one of the things that we've got coming out is actually some simplifications on this. What this does now, is based on the color and, and the sequencing. I know every status of what the battery is and every literally minute that's alive. I'm simplifying it so that it'll be green if it's really charged and ready to go, red if you need to charge it. And we're also playing around with some things. Uh, it has an accelerometer on the board. You might see some future things related to an accelerometer and braking possibly. Yes. But I can't commit to that right. because I don't talk futures, all right? So we're seeing a lot of those kind of good things. Uh, and again, I'm excited with the over-the-air updates, being able to update the firmware yeah. very, very simply and easily. And that's, that's one of the things that'll continue to offer value to the, to the consumers as they buy it. Similar to what Senna did when they came out with their SMH10. Mm -hmm. It took them four years before they came out with their next product. Mm -hmm. They spent four years improving the quality of it, okay? Yeah. It's not gonna take me four years for my next product, but during that period, that additional period of time, we'll continue to make refinements and improvements to the helmet. Yeah, and to me, it's almost like all the high-tech improvements are like icing on the cake, because I think what you mentioned earlier is one of the most important things. It's blind spot, spot awareness. Yes. So, you know, I, I commute every day, and it's kind of the traffic commute. Yep. I think one of the most dangerous things I do, and I, I've always, I've learned to check your blind, look to check yeah. your bl blind yeah. spot, right? Yeah. And there's so many times where I've I've done that and saved my my my, my butt. Right. But at the same time, you're taking your eyes off of what's in front of you. Right. And like we know, it takes a split second. Yeah. So that you can just glance and yeah. check your blind spot. Yeah. That's huge. You're exactly right. And one of the things that you know I, I tell people is like I look at the heads-up display about as often as I would my rearview mirror when I'm driving my car. Yeah. It's it's that's exactly the best analogy I can offer up. And I'm assuming I can also catch the finale season of Game of Thrones. I can just plug that in there and watch it while I'm going. I'm sure you can do that. And, and you can play Angry Birds while you're riding too. No, <laughs> honestly, can you, from your phone, can you put video on? No. no so gonna, it prevents you from yeah, it's gonna putting prevent, stuff on there. I'm not going to allow you to stream it. video. Right. Yeah, I'm okay. not going to allow video streaming. As much as I would like to watch college football on a Saturday when I'm riding, we don't allow that. <laughs> so really all you're going to get on the screen is either rear proje projection or directions. Right, that's correct. Got well, it. you're going to get the projections and the rear view. It's not an either or. Right, problem. okay. Yeah. You know, some other things I'll say, it's a good looking helmet. I like the white. You know, I mean, the carbon fiber is really cool, the matte black, I think the colors are great. And it's yeah. also got some good basic features like vents. Yeah. It's got the vent up top, it's got the vent down low. And you got exhaust vents in the back. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it seems like it touches on all the all the basics, all the important stuff, and then everything else. Right. Well, thank you. Thanks, Terry. I appreciate it, Liza. That's cool, yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, cool. That was great. I love it. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know another um, another thing I really enjoyed there. They had the the Pakistan contingent. They the did. Corner, Pakistani guys. Yeah, they were they were merchants there uh, yeah. at the event. Yeah, they were selling uh, oh jackets, boots, gloves, like nice stuff. I really liked mm -hmm. the um, 
the wax, wax cotton cotton uh, cargo pants with uh, with armor in them. Yeah, you took me over there, and because um, I remember I went, and I'm like, "Hey, did you see the packy dudes over in the corner?" And you're like, "No," and we checked it out, and then you went and you said, "You got to look at their stuff." So we tried some of their wax cotton gear, and I it, it looked good and it felt good. It had armor in all the right places. Yeah, you know, what brand it, was it? Do you remember? It was packy. I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, no, they have a lot of factories over there, yeah. and they make really good quality stuff. Oh, so, okay, they were just selling it as as a labor manufacturing arm of mm-hmm. theirs. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, there's they have brands Services. from there, yeah. um, but... But it looked, I mean, really it looked good, legit. I mean, sure, you, yeah. quality you, stuff. you look at some of the contemporary manufacturers of that kind of stuff, the wax cotton look, you know, that kind of thing, and mm-hmm. it looked, and it, you could put it up to anybody. You know, I tried it on, and it felt good. Like I said, it had, it had elbow armor, shoulder armor, back armor, Um they just didn't have any any man sizes. They were all kind of small. <laughs> so, um, but other than that, I thought the packy stuff was pretty cool. It was really cool. But um, I'll tell you what is even cooler. How about American Made? So we went over to visit our new friends over at Vanson Leathers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those who don't know, Vanson is is a name I've been seeing on on uh, like racing suits yeah, I've seen for that shit. decades. Sorry, I- I've seen that shit before I was even in motorcycling. I just, oh, yeah. it's a recognizable, the logo's recognizable. And what I'll say, it, it, it's true blue American. Yep. Those guys are great. They make really cool stuff and um, our friend Stephanie Yu f- from Chickistan, she wore one of their jackets which was really, really nice. Mm. So we went over and talked to Mike and Kim over at Vanson and we have that right here. I'm Kim Vanderslazen from Vanson Leathers, and this is my husband, Michael. He's I'm Mike Vanderslazen. So we're, we're here at AIM Expo, and I was referred to you guys from our good friend, uh, Stephanie Yu, and who wears a, a Vanson jacket, which is very nice. I want to come back to that, because I want to go back to the old days. How long have you guys been around? Because Vanson is just a name that I've always seen around. How long have you been around? I started Vanson in 1974 in Boston on Thayer Street, which uh, has been somewhat improved since we were there and uh, unrecognizable today from what it was. Nice. You know, and I actually rode year-round in Boston, and I never even knew you existed. When were you there? Uh, 88 to 91. Uh, well, we, we were on Thayer Street until uh, 88, and in 88 we moved south to Quincy, yep. and then uh, in, in, in uh, 92 we moved to uh, Stoke, and then in, uh, in uh, 90, 90, 98 we moved from Stoughton to Fall River. We actually set up the shop in Fall River, the workshop, in 1987, and we still kept the offices and the design in Boston at that time. Also, we had some people in Boston that uh, wouldn't make the move, and and we didn't want to lose them, so we we split the shop because at that time it was becoming increasingly difficult to find people who had the skill set to make what we needed to make. So. Uh, that was what prompted our move to Fall River in the first place. Now, the name Vanson, is this a, an abbreviation of your name? Or? Yeah, it's a, I had a partner when we started in 74. His name's Jamie Goodson. 
So we put V-A-N together with S-O-N from Goodson and came up with Vanson. So how did you get started uh, well, it, it seemed like uh, it seemed like uh, something that I could do, and uh, uh, and it seemed like something that didn't require a lot of capital to get started, and it seemed like something that wouldn't be, uh, you know, right around uh, a local market that you could sell uh, in a wide area. You wouldn't be locked into uh, a, a local downturn or something. Uh, and I had been working in a motorcycle shop in France, and we used to bring jackets over from England to France uh, and other parts and accessories. And so I was in Boston, and um, I got a telephone call from one of my friends uh, that I had bought jackets from before, and he was actually in the Cincinnati show, and said, "I'm here. I'm, I've been." set over by the company we're going to find an american distributor and we haven't found anybody i can change my ticket and come by you and drop off my samples and you can be the distributor as you were bringing stuff into france and i said sure okay we'll give it a shot so that's really how how we started in, in the business and did you start out catering more to the racing community because i see a lot of full suits like vintage suits that say Vanson, or did you start out making jackets or street riders? No, we started right off. Suits were right away uh, important to us. We did both, of course, but the suits were uh, were important. Uh, and um, at, at that time, when when we started the in Europe, people would buy essentially full suits to to ride on the street, and uh, so you had sort of an uh, an evolution of of garments where you started with the real, let's call it the Marlon Brando type of, type of deal, uh, particularly with the English rockers. And um, there were a lot of studs and a lot of black leather and they had the uh, tall boots that went up the, up the calf of your leg, usually with a zipper in the back. They were Ashman's and so on. Uh, and um, jeans and brill cream and all of that. And then as things evolved, they became more and more cafe. Uh, so rear sets became more popular. And then as they evolved beyond that, it, it, even for touring, for fast touring, uh, leather suits were, were the norm. Uh, a lot of one-piece suits were worn on the street. Uh, in those days, in Europe, in the 60s, late 60s and, and early 70s, there were no speed limits. So you, if you got a bike, and uh, of course the bikes didn't do the kind of speeds that they do now, but uh, still, you know, it was no speed limit riding, which meant long stretches at over 100 miles an hour if you could, get, if your bike would hold up, and a lot of them would, and um, and so you needed the extra protection. Uh, and around that time, you it was the first push into things like integral helmets, you know, instead of, and and of course the early helmet laws came in too. So you've been obviously been following trends and keeping up with trends. If you're still around today, you must be doing something right. There was a point where um, people were getting into textiles. Did you follow into that direction too? And what, and what kind of textiles do you do you use? Because I can see a lot over here on the rack. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the 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 textile thing started to become more important all the way back in the '90s. We. We began in the 90s with uh, some wax cotton jackets, and, and in reality, there there were no there were, there were there was little appetite for that. 
at that time. The hipsters weren't born yet. That's they right. Weren't, weren't born yet. And, you know, the, the wax cotton story is kind of a funny one uh, if you're talking about the history of, of textiles in this market where you had, you know, Barber was really the, the foremost supplier and then you had Bellstaff. And originally when I started, those coats were $34 and $39 retail. And, and with the exchange, with the currency problems the English had with the discovery of oil and all, we're going all the way back to 1975, 76, those, those prices uh, increased. And it had nothing to do with their ability to make or their cost to manufacture, it was all currency. But when the retail price jumped from $39 or $49 for a jacket up to $100, $120, that, that market just went away. And so the wax cotton market was dormant and companies like Barber were uh, in difficulties and I think Bellstaff went through a couple of ownership changes and so on. And then you got into the 90s and in reality, the people who picked up the uh, wax cotton jacket uh, look and the wax cotton as a material first uh, in, in were the Italians. And Italy became the most important market for uh, Barber. Uh, I'm not sure Bellstaff was even able to capture that because they were sort of in some, some sort of turmoil. But that uh, renaissance really put Barber back on the map and they became very successful. And, it, and that would have started around 95, 96. And it continued for a good 20 years. And as, as that has slowly moved here into the United States. So the United States, uh, the, the concept of wax cotton jackets as a, uh, as a, uh, a co-mingling of fashion and motorcycling, that sort of uh, convergence, uh, which we see in Italy, uh, has taken uh, 20 years to arrive here in the United States. Sort of this culture thing. Um, and so, uh, and that of course, has turned into what you know when you're terming it the hipsters and the millennials or whatever you want that's that was something that they saw happening over there and the older generation they would look at it as being you know i i knew I, those coats used to be you know 50 bucks <laughs> why would you buy a 50 dollar coat for whatever whatever they are 500 bucks today but but you know i mean in, in reality uh, you know you're, you're driving a, a you're driving a $30,000 car, and, and back then the cars were $2,995. So, you know, but still there's a mental thing about it, in particular, uh, some particular issues like clothing are definitely sensitive to that. So have you always been making women's jackets as well? Yes. So this is something that comes up a lot because a lot of women complain that they don't have good jackets available to them and the ones that they do are paying for have roses <laughs> and one of the things I noticed when I was on the trip in Pakistan with Stephanie Yu I noticed what a well-fitting jacket she had that actually accented her shape and even though it's a I'm gonna call it tan and brown what color do you call it? We'll call it tan. <laughs> tan and brown. It, it made her recognizable as a, as a woman. woman yes. So who designed that jacket? 
Well, we have a, a, a team that we work with everyone together. Uh, Michael comes up with the basic concept that we have a pattern specialist and they worked we make we go through several iterations of trying to get the fit right um, and we work we have a a nice silhouette now that fits women really well and so we take that basic shape and we turn it into a leather jacket or a textile jacket and you know once you hit one that is a nice as you say, recognizable feminine shape. It doesn't have to have pink to make it look like a girl's jacket. And a lot of times the girls don't want pink, um, but they want to have variety and choice. You know, instead of just one style, let's show them two or three styles. A lot of times they'll, there's a much uh, greater number of male motorcyclists, let's just admit that, um, even though the women's market is growing and, and it's one of the you know, bright spot, spots in our industry. So there's more available for men. And a lot of times women will say, this is a great men's jacket, how come I don't have one? So we've been trying to make, not necessarily matching men's and women's styles, but the same type of style available to women that we have for men. And in fact, our boyfriend Fred has, has the, the same men's jacket. version. Yeah. Can you tell us what this model of jacket is if somebody wants to look that up? Sure. The one that Stephanie wore that uh, she d was k uh, kind enough to do a, a nice um, piece for us for our website is called the Baja. And it's a mix of um, Thousand Denier Cordura nylon mesh with the uh, wax cotton uh, accents in the um, main center back panel, the shoulder, the elbows and the lower panel where you have pockets. So you have also CE grade protection armor in the shoulder and elbow with a back pad, uh, full flow through ventilation, antimicrobial liner, it's belted, the belt uh, can be removable, the buckle is leather covered so it won't scratch your um, tank. Uh, leather details on the inside of the collar and the wrist for comfort because, you know, textile is, even though it's soft and pliable versus leather, leather is more comfortable on your skin. Um, what else about it? Well, uh, this has been a big debate a lot. A lot of women are talking about gear. And one of the things I say is I think a lot of women want pink because they want to be recognized as a woman. Mm -hmm. But there's another way to do that. And you guys have already accomplished that, that a lot of out, outfitters haven't, by having that silhouette mm -hmm. and having it fit right. to the woman. Mm -hmm. Now women come in a lot of shapes. And sizes. Do you customize do custom, that? We, yes, we specialize in custom fit because exactly that. No, you know, there's not, men too, you know. I mean, there's a basic, in men's style, you know, 40, 42, 44, 46, and ladies, six, eight, 10, but not everybody's, you know, some people are taller, some people are shorter. And so if you're going to, you know, have gear that can last you decades, then it should fit you so that you can actually use it all that time. Now, here's a bit of a whammy question. Do you sell any gear with pink? We do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. We some, have, some women want it. Yes, we do. We have a, a lot of different colors. You can, we do, uh, for women, uh, you know, reds and blues, brighter colors. They like that, too. White is very popular for ladies in leather. But we have, you know, you can do embroidery. You can do your name. Uh, we have a, a, our classic Vanson logo. We make it in pink, too. So you can just, that one change on a plain black jacket will 
you know, change the look of the coat. And you're still doing like custom leathers for people? Yes, custom so leathers. You're, you're basically a full custom yes. shop who's been around for decades. Yes. Is there anything new you want to let people know that you have? Any new products? Do you do gloves? Do you do boots? We do gloves. We don't do boots. People ask us for that a lot, but that sets a whole other set of equipment that we don't have. Uh, we do uh, make gloves. We make bags. We sell a lot of bags. We make handbags and carry bags and duffel bags and tote bags. That's one thing that people don't necessarily know, but it's a very popular accessory to our line. And all of your stuff has this classic kind of vintage design. Is it cool to have that be in again? Have you seen a real? It's been very helpful. Yes, for me, I haven't been. I joined the company in the '90s, um, and at that time, you know, late '90s, early 2000s, it had to be all the bells and whistles, right? China was coming in with, you got a jacket that had all these, you know, came with a full insulated liner. It was waterproof. It was breathable. It did everything, but drive the motorcycle for you, and we just weren't able to offer those kinds of extras you know with our traditional line had to have venting it had to have armor it had to be reflective all of that so many of our items do have those features but what's been very nice to see in the last couple of years maybe three is with the um, more traditional bikes being popular like triumph uh, someone wants a straight center front zip jacket with no venting and no armor. It, you know, if you're riding a bike that's styled after the 70s, you want some gear that looks appropriate on that style of bike. And that's been very helpful to us. We, the very first jacket that Michael designed, the Model A, is still one of our best selling. So for 44 years, we've been making the same coat. That's great. So how do people buy your product? Where do they go to see it? We have some dealers. We'd like a few more dealers across the country, but we have a full-service website where you can order online. We tried it when, even when people do place an order online. You, you're you're buying a pretty specifically fitting garment. We try to talk to them. We encourage people to call us. We answer the phone. It's not a recording. We ask you where you live, how you like to wear your clothes, what kind of bikes you ride, because those things are a factor in the fit. Um, you know, gloves with a jacket. You know, and, and a lot of times, just even working with one-on-one -on -one with the customers in the showroom, they have an idea of what they want. They come in, they try it on. Maybe their body type is better suited to a different style. And as long as you're comfortable, and it, and this is the the deal with the gear, it has to fit your body. It has to be comfortable in your riding position. It has to be offer ventilation if you're in a hot climate or offer insulation if you're in a cold climate so that you will actually use it. It can be the best looking coat and it's not doing you any good if it's hanging in the in the closet so we like to talk to our customers. Now is all of this made here in America? Yes. That is something a lot of people cannot say anymore. So this is still basically a small company run by the owners, handcrafted, made in America, but also Yep. Very fashionable. Yep, we try to be out there the leading the pack. <laughs> Great. You know, one thing I found really interesting, we were talking earlier, and where you started out of Boston and you had a couple of different locations, you actually chose locations. One of the criteria was hanging on to the people that made the quality stuff. You realize that the people that you employ 
have everything to do with the job, so much so that you picked locations based on that. This is a good one he can answer. He's got a good uh, yeah. line about how many years of experience. Yeah, well, I mean, if you, t if you take the number of years that people have been working at the company and, you know, we, a lot of them have, a lot of our people and been there 25, 30 years, you know, so there's a lot of uh, collective knowledge. And uh, that is the, the main asset. That's the main value. That's the, you know, you can't, if you unplug and move away, that's, that's not going to help you, you know. Do you have uh, difficulty finding people that skilled? Is that something that you, you kind of have to look for or somebody that comes to you? Or I mean, I figure it's, it's a skill that's learned over a lifetime that's kind of, you know, machine work or no seamstressing. No matter how skilled someone is, they're either more or less capable of, of joining the team. But they, no one just comes in and is, and is plug and play. Right. Um, and, and part of that is because there's no... There's no one left sewing leather to speak of in the United States. I mean, when I started the, this this place, I mean, when we started in Boston, in the building we were on Thayer Street, there were at least seven or eight other companies sewing dresses or shirts or handbags, and you know, and there was a guy making shoes in the, on Washington Street, and there was a leather district, and there was a sewing district, and a blah 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 district, and you know, Talon had a. Uh, sales office one block over and they're making thread around the corner I mean you know that's the reality now we come to, to, to where we are now uh, you know TRW used to make all the snaps that we used across the street from MIT now that building is part of an MIT dorm or something you know so so you, you get to the point where there's just absolutely nothing left and uh, and when I say absolutely nothing left, I mean that's not exactly right. There might be one or two people out of hundreds. Um, and of course the tanneries are the same, you know. I mean all of Peabody and Salem and, and so on. Um, so so Fall River um, has been a textile town. Uh, it's far enough away from Boston where it wasn't affected by everything and there was a population of people who we could work with to, to bring along and that's where we've been and so now we've been there 30 31 years cool well I wanted to thank you guys for the interview and as a reminder it's vanceandleathers.com go check it out and now I want to try on some jackets <laughs> okay could, could you make Jim leather underwear if he requested it <laughs> if I wore it <laughs> good call. All right, thank you. Thank you. So, Knock. Um, yes. Oh, let's go back when we went, we were going through the Honda section. There was another bike we were a little bit excited to see. Yeah. I don't know if you, yeah. you saw this, Jim, but we did. And um, the, the Super bike. Cub. Yes, it's the the, yes. the newer version of the bike that made Honda essentially. So one of the one of the first pictures I posted on Instagram was the monkey bike and the Super Cub. Yes. They look great. And so they had the su the Super Cub there, and what I really liked about it, it was straight up looked vintage. But then when you get up close and you start seeing the turn signals and things, it looked real modern. It had a nice blend of the modern and the vintage. But knock. You it, gave us a little review. It's it's as if technology gets better over time or something. And we are going to hear that here. So 
Here's the Super Cub. Return of the Super Cub. What do you think, Nock? The thing with Honda is they know how to make bikes look showroom pretty. They're really good with their fit and finish. It's a little bit another step up above, I'd say, like a Suzuki. If you take a look at a Suzuki side by side, you can tell like this Honda's got an extra little bit of polish to it or something, you know? That's what it just seems like. You know, something um, I'm discovering, you know, I've always loved the classic bikes, but I'm yeah. kind of over the maintenance. But all these new classics are getting me kind of excited again. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, was designed as a, like, mass production people mover, right? So it's supposed to be reliable, mostly reasonably reliable. And But it's a cool bike. It's it's pretty. I'm going to sit on it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to take a look at the monkey bike. It looks pretty cool. It's bigger than I thought. Big seat for my big ass. I'm kind of liking it, too. Huh? Or add one of these uh, to the collection to complement the elite. <laughs> Look at this. Pakistan style. Heel toe. Uh, nice. Oh, and it's, so it's a 125. It's going to get up and go. It's the uh, twist and go with a centrifugal. You know what I like is that it's this classic styling, but it has like very modern looking turn signals and, yeah. and lights so it's a little bit of it's a good blend of both i think honda's killing it with the whole retro modern look especially with the neo sports cafe over there um hoping to test ride that today looks super cool and it's here's the thing about i guess what most people don't understand too is a lot of these bikes look a lot smaller in person than they do in the photo shoots and um yeah they're they're, they're amazing well let's sit on some more bikes then yeah So another cool thing, um, I wanted to go talk to some of the, the people that I had questions for. And we were walking around trying to figure out who to interview. And I realized as I was walking past the Seafoam booth <laughs> that I realized I have no idea how Seafoam works or if it works. But we all recommend it. We all use it. It's one of those things where you're like... Uh, I think it's doing something. I'm not sure. So I wanted to I wanted to ask some questions and figure out exactly what it's doing. And what I liked is they had some new products. Mm -hmm. When you think of Seafoam, but they have new stuff that's actually, I, I, I'm ready to try. So uh, we went and talked to Kevin at Seafoam, and uh, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I think you'll enjoy it. Here it is. My name's Kevin Hone. I'm the sales manager for Seafoam Sales Company. I'm so glad to talk to you because Seafoam is something that we have no idea how it works or if it works, but we all have it and we all recommend it. And I wanted to find out what actually is in Seafoam. What does it do? Well, Seafoam is a blend of petroleum products. <laughs> uh, there's no harsh chemicals to it or detergents. And so we really put the good stuff back into gasoline. So we're cleaner, we help control moisture, but we're more lubrication than we are anything to help protect the motor. So our label says using seafoam one ounce per gallon as a treatment, but even if you accidentally use 10 ounces per gallon, 
You're not going to hurt your fuel system. You're not going to hurt your motor. It's just going to clean it up and lube it up real good. That's good, because I never follow those instructions. I assume more is better. That's what a lot of our customers say. And actually, that's kind of a true statement. All I know is when, when that old carbureted bike won't quite get started, I'm scratching my head. I'm like, seafoam, come on, baby, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, we try and revive a lot of bikes that have been sitting. And we always say, before you pull the carbs, let's run some seafoam through it. But I can't tell you what it's doing, so maybe you can explain it to us. Well, like I said, Seafoam is a petroleum-based product, but it's our unique blend that actually melts the gum and the varnish, turns it, you know, turns it back into liquid, so it works its way through the system, and you help clean up that gum and varnish. And Seafoam likes heat, so if you warm up the engine good or run it through a couple of warm-ups and cool-downs, yeah. you'll do a better job of cleaning. And that's why probably when you put Seafoam into the fuel tank, and the longer the person drives it, the better it gets. Well, that engine gets hot, the carburetors get warmed up, seafoam helps melt more of that gum and varnish and everything gets cleaned out of there. Well, now things start flowing properly. So really seafoam's supposed to be used for maintenance? Would you say more than trying to revive something? Is that what it was created for, to maintain a bike to be optimal? Yes, it, you know, it's a good maintainer, but Kind of like what you guys just explained, you know, you're working on this stuff and you have one thing you think about is, oh, let's try seafoam first. And, and that's what a lot of technicians do. They recommend, you know, if someone has a drivability issue, a performance issue, they say, try a can of seafoam first. And if that doesn't fix it, well, now come back and we'll take a look at the mechanical issues that could be there. You know, there's no new parts in this can. There's no wrenches. We are a good cleaner and loop. And so if you take care of the cleaning issues, That'll help you determine whether you have a mechanical issue or not. So uh, the maintenance aspect is I love. Are there any uses for seafoam like that people haven't, like we wouldn't think about, like over the years you've realized it's good for, I don't know what, some crazy use or something that we should know about that it's effective for? Well, and, and, and just I'll kind of go through the list. Seafoam is a fuel stabilizer. So we stabilize fuel for at least two years. That's longer than anybody else, okay? Uh, you can also put seafoam into the oil to help clean up the oil system. And a lot of people don't realize that. No, I did not. Because seafoam is an oil product. When you say to clean up the oil, what is it cleaning out of the oil? Like if coolant or? You, you, you develop gum and varnish in yeah. the oil side too, as well in the crankcase. Or even in the oil galleys where the oil flowing kind of like your blood vessels. Mm. Well, they're, they develop gum and varnish or build up, you know, the impurities settle in those oil galleys. So using seafoam, one ounce per quart, one ounce of seafoam per quart of oil in the engine. So if you've got five quarts of oil in the engine, you put five or six ounces of seafoam in there, run that through for about 100 miles, and then change your oil. All right, why is it called seafoam? That's a good story. Uh, Fed, uh, Fred Van Dry, who invented seafoam back in the late 30s, back then, outboard motors ran on a combination of white gas and motor oil. Well, if that combination sat too long, it turned into a, a hard varnish. And so every time Fred got ready to go fishing, he had to tear the carburetors apart to clean up all that old varnish, get it back together and get the engine running so he could go fishing. Well, Fred w worked for an oil refinery. So he got tired of doing all that cleaning and he went into the lab and he developed this combination of adding this extra oil additive that kept that white gas and oil from turning into varnish. 
So he'd take the raw materials home, mix it up in the garage, put it into old mason jars or whatever, and sell it to the rest of his fishing buddies. Well, back in the late 30s, Fred would put a little bit of blue dye in there, and it gave it a seafoam green color. Wow. One of his buddies kind of nicknamed it seafoam. He called Fred up and said, Fred, send me some more of that seafoam stuff. My engine's not running very good. Well, the name stuck, and the rest is history. Awesome. That's a great story. Well, I, I appreciate that. We, we re took the blue dye out of the formula a few years ago to avoid a price increase. And which didn't change the effect of the product, it just changed the color. But it's, it's no longer that seafoam green, but it's still so very effective. So some other things out here. What other products do you guys have coming out? Well, with seafoam motor treatment, then we also have seafoam spray. Now, here's another really good option, when you, especially when you're working on a carbureted engine, because you can have that bike running, and you're revving it up a little bit, and then you can feather in seafoam spray right into the carburetor. Oh. Or on so the newer it's bike direct injection as opposed to letting it run through the gas. Yes. And well, the engine's hot, like I said. With works, the engine's right? hot, yes. You can do a real nice decarbon on an engine using seafoam spray. It's just a way to give a straight shot of seafoam yeah. right into the combustion. I chamber. want that. Yeah. That that makes so much yeah. more sense. That's awesome. We also have seafoam deep creep, which is a penetrant and lube. Uh, California asked us to come out with a low VOC product a few years ago. And we came up with a very good blend that's an excellent penetrant and lube. Uh, it's a good fog and oil for if you're going to store the engine for a while. So you just fog it, spray that into the carburetor and fog the engine down or in through the spark plug hole and seal it back up and put it away for storage. But as a uh, mechanic, they like deep creep because it likes heat. Sometimes you have to take a torch to things because it gets so rusted and corroded warm it up a little bit with a torch first and then just put a little shot of deep creep on there. The heat actually helps draw the product in and now you're taking that rusted corroded uh, part apart and you're saving that hardware instead of wrecking it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Is uh, there any other products other you want to share? What I'd like to talk about is our, is our Bugs Be Gone. Yes, I saw that on the Bugs on the Be Gone display. is a good multi-use cleaner which yeah. most motorcyclists love. You can spray it on the windshield because yeah. it won't hurt the Lexan. Can I use it on my teeth? Yes, you can. It doesn't <laughs> taste very good, but you can use it on your teeth. Happy motorcyclist, I know. But we uh, spray it on, let it soak for a minute, and it solubilizes all those bug guts and bodies and road grime. Now you come back with a rag full of water and they just rinse off. So you're not scratching the windshield, you're not taking the wax off of the bike, and it really shines them up nice. And how long has this product been out? I've not seen it Bugs before. Bugs Be Gone's been out, uh, we've owned it for about 15 years. It's been out longer than that. It was a little company based out of Montana. We bought the company. Uh, the product was developed for the motorhome and the trucking industry because you think of all the bugs that those large vehicles right. catch. It just makes clean up a breeze. But this is also good for getting food and beverage stains out of cloth and carpet, uh, cleaning your shower stall, your kitchen counter. And you can use it in your teeth. Yeah, and cleaning your teeth. recommended. <laughs> So. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. Thank you. So another uh, booth I wanted to stop at and ask questions. So I've mentioned um, when we went to Yosemite, I was having problems on my KLR with the brakes going out. Mm. And <clears throat> I wanted to know if there's a, a you know better brake pad to use. So I went over to the EBC brake guys and I realized, too, that I remember when I've, I've looked up 
brake pads for bikes. And there's a lot of different options. And I have no idea what I want. So I usually get the cheapest. I think like many do. So we went over to EBC and um, we wanted to find out what is really the difference and, and see if they had any advice for my KLR. So here it is. Steve with EBC Brakes USA. Yes. So I wanted to stop by here because I've got a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. um, but mostly I want to um, break down. There's a lot of things we're discovering here at the AIM Expo that is technology that most people just don't understand. And we're trying to break some of that down and let people know that there are different options and what is the right option for them. So when it comes to brakes, there's really two portions. You've got the rotor and you've got the, the pads. So when it comes to rotor, some bikes have a solid, thick rotor, uh, one piece. Some of them have floating rotors. Some of them have holes all drilled in them. Can you kind of give a breakdown why there's differences? So it all comes down to basically the performance, what the bike is capable of. If it's a solid rotor, the OEMs kind of dictate which they're going to put on, what they would feel that would be best suited for that particular application. If it's a cruiser, if it's a sport bike, uh, when it comes to the floating rotors, it'll allow it to move a little bit, better performance. That's the ones that'll have a lot more of the holes drilled into it. The wave rotors help dissipate the heat. Everything else is better, better braking performance, better feel of it. When it comes down to the brake pads, uh, like here at EBC, we make the, a wide variety of the different pads, and that really comes down to what the rider is doing with the bike. When, uh, when you call into us or we sit down with you, we ask you what your riding style is, if you're on the track, if you're in mountains, if you're in the streets, and kind of dictate between the organics, the semi-centered, the fully centered, uh, then the different race compounds and everything else. So it, when it comes to the pads, it's very uh, rider specific and how we kind of would gauge what pad would work best for you. If you're, like I said, on the track, if it's a heavier bike, if it's a smaller bike, if it's a commuter bike, uh, there's so many different variations when it comes to the pad material. So let's just, let's go back to the rotors for a second. So um, you said it's an OEM choice, but a lot of times I think people are under the assumption that an OEM choice is based on cost and not performance so are, do you recommend that people swap out their rotors for an aftermarket rotor like yours uh, I mean I definitely do I would I would always say to swap out for EBC brakes brake rotors uh, the the quality of the steel that we use it's all German rolled steel uh, it's a very high quality rotor uh, all of our rotors are actually assembled by one person in the UK when it comes down to mounting the bobbins and the pit, uh, the rivets everything else that is actually done by one person in the UK and he's been doing it for the past 19 years I believe it is and his uh, I believe his name is Danny and he's the only one that does it uh, oh. Our quality uh, is very, uh, we, we pride ourselves on quality and making sure we bring a very high quality product. Uh, so that's why we have one guy that assembles all of our rotors, every single motorcycle rotor. I kind of feel like Danny is like the Keebler elf or something. Is, is yeah, he's, he's, he, a yes, guy, he huh? he's a real guy. He's a real guy. <laughs> he has a real desk and he uh, sits at a machine every day and he assembles all of our rotors. Wow. So the other part that people are more familiar with are the brake pads. And myself included, when you go to buy a pad, 
We've got a lot of choices. Yes. So can you explain what the differences are so that people can better choose? Because I think most people go for the cheapest. So we, even when it would come down to what you would consider our cheapest is going to be our organic is what's called our uh, FA pad. Uh, it has a really good feel. That would be essentially what, what you would call our price point or entry level pad. Um, it's kind of equivalent to an OEM pad, a little bit better. Uh, it's going to give a real good progressive feel in the in the uh, brake lever. And the easiest way to explain it is if you're grabbing on your lever about 20%, you're going to get 20% out of the pad. So you get a little bit better feel. And then you're going to move up into all of our centered stuff, which is going to be a little bit more high performance, better braking, everything else. And that would be our double H pads. What, what is centered? It's the materials, it's the, the copper in it, it's uh, it's basically the materials that we use and turn it into a center. And all of our center pads are actually made in the United States. Like we're looking at some pads here, like high performance off-road brake pads. What exactly does so that mean? So this is going to be our SV pad. This is a semi-centered pad. And then the double H pads are full centered pad. The SV pad is going to be one step below the double H pad. So if you're not needing the full real aggressive feel, then you would go with the SV pad. The SV pad works really good, especially in like our off-road section. Our off-road section for like the UTV, so that muddy areas, wet climates like down south, going through lots of mud, swampy areas. And then we actually just came out with a new pad called the SXR pad, which we just released about six weeks ago and it's done very, very well for us. That's for the side-by-side -side customer that has the oversized wheels, he's racing Baja, or he's loading it down on a, on a ranch with a trailer, real big workhorse. Uh, our SXR pad is going to be the one for that. We just released that about six weeks ago. Now, I think there's a lot of people who may not be aware of how you know when it's time to change your pads. So how, I know, we know that there's a trick, because I hear it, how does that work? How do you tell people when it's time to change their pads? Uh, you would basically go off of what the OEM, like minimum thickness is, measuring it when you take it in for service, having the technician look at it, measuring how much pad life is left, and then the other one, like you said, you hear it, you hear the metal on metal sound, that's a very good indicator that you want to change them. It's always good to have it checked whenever you're checking your tire pressure uh, or have your bike in for an oil change or doing an oil change yourself, because if it gets down to metal on metal, then you could have you run the risk of damaging the rotor as well. So, so um, I've had a problem recently with my KLR 650. Let me tell you what it is, and then maybe you can make a recommendation for me. I was recently on a um, off-road adventure, and I found that every time we were descending a mountain on these dirt roads, it didn't take very long before my rear brake just disappeared. Completely faded out. Completely faded out, and I had nothing but front brake to get down the mountain. As soon as I let it cool, or at one point I just went through a river, and it suddenly magically came back. Once it cooled off. So, what is the issue? What's happening, and what's the solution? Uh, the, the the one solution would be going with a better compound of pads, stepping up from. Uh, do you know what materials the pads were made out of? Do not. So if. It could be because it was going downhill and it's a kind of a little bit heavier of a bike. Uh, you'd want to go up to like what we would consider our SV pad, our severe duty pads. They're a lot better uh, bite on them. It's semi-centered so it can handle the heat a lot better. It's not going to trap the heat in like what an organic pad would or anything. 
Uh, it could be that the rotor could have gotten glazed over, the pad could have gotten glazed over. Mainly what it sounds like is that it's the heat. Or the other thing too is it's time for the brake fluid to be flushed. You could have gotten some water condensation in the brake line, which over time the brake fluid does do that over time, so it's time to flush the brake fat, the yeah, brake fluid. We were mentioning that's one of our favorite words <laughs> at the podcast is hygroscopic. <laughs> hygroscopic. Oh. So, and that's my understanding that the brake fluid naturally absorbs moisture from the air. Yes. Once you have fluid in there, if it heats, it's going to steam off and create an air pocket. Is yeah, that it could create the air pockets, and that's where you can upgrade your brake fluid to the EBC brake fluid, the uh, the BF three hundred seven plus, or the our different various brake lines that have higher boiling temperatures and stuff like that. And that could be one of the issues uh, they had. It was just time to did you flush the brake fluid on it? I did after the fact. After the fact, not having any issues now. Have I have not gone, gone down, down a mountain yet. I've gone down a mountain yet. Oh, we got to go down a mountain and see if, <laughs> if it solved the problem. <laughs> but I, yeah, I didn't know if I needed to uh, take sandpaper to the you, you rotor. Can, you can take it and see if you can clean it up. But the the big thing that I would look at, just because if it's only happening downhill, it sounds like the brake pads are, are overheating. Uh, I would look at do, doing a better pad material on it, upgrading the pad material. Uh, that's what a lot of people... Um, need to be educated on is doing the better pad materials to compensate for the terrain that you're riding on, riding styles, uh, weight on the bike, the weight of the bike. And there's just so many different variables that can go into it on selecting the correct brake pad. So what's more important, having more power or more stopping power? Well, the more power you have, the better stopping power you have to have. It kind of goes hand in hand. I agree, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't realize that you can lose your performance of your braking power um, through your pads, through your rotor, through your fluid, and that it needs to be maintained more yes. and swapped out. Are there any bikes that you know that maybe are stock um, and inferior and that are maybe a highly recommend to swap out the rotors and or pads on? Not one that can come straight to mind. No, I don't really know any out there. We, we do get some phone calls from customers uh, saying that they're having issues with their brakes. They don't like the way they feel uh, off the OEM assembly line, uh, and they, they swap them out. We have a fair amount of customers. That's, that's the first thing they do. Uh, they, they buy a new bike. They buy new, new they buy our, stu- our products just because they know it. They trust it. They've been running it for the past 40 years. Uh, we've been around for quite some time. But to narrow down one particular bike that... I could say swap out the second you get it. I don't have an exact bike that I could say you want to change these pads and, and rotors out. One last question. Are there any common misconceptions about brakes that you encounter a lot when you're meeting people? Uh, that they're all the same. So all the pad materials are the same. Uh, that a lot of people think a, a brake pad's a brake pad when it comes down to materials, uh, the R&D put behind it, the, the heat dams in them. Uh, that, that would be the biggest uh, misconception of uh, a low-end versus a high-end, that, that they're going to be the same types of brake pads when there's just so many different variables that can go into it. As far as performance, feel, there, there's a lot of things that are different. Now, at EBC, is it possible somebody's not sure which is the right one? Is it, can they contact you? Do you guys? Yes, they can definitely contact us. They can reach out to us uh, via email on the EBC Brakes website. Uh, there's links on there to email us. Some of those emails go direct to me. Uh, we have a whole team that sits there and uh, answers those emails. 
or if you visit any of the local shops, we work uh, with reps trying to train them up to up to speed on the most current stuff, and then they go in and train the dealership staff as well. Great. And where do they go to find out more about EBC Brakes? Uh, EBCBrakes.com. So go right on the website. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much. Not a problem. You know, you know what's crazy is uh, how, how there's just one guy in EBC that assembles the rudders. I know, Danny boy, Danny, Danny. He's I mean... the guy. <laughs> he's he's the guy. I know. You think that this is like a big company? Well, it you know, is. Everything but... being manufactured yeah. out of like China or something. No, it's Danny. He's putting Danny. together the rotors. Yeah, he's <laughs> your life is in his hands, sirs and madams. He's like their version of the Keebler elves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, um, oh, we ran into another listener, and he had been messaging me back and forth and trying to find us. We we're all over the place, but he found you guys first. Do you guys remember Joe Rubino? Yeah. Heck yeah, Joe was chill. What man. up, dude? He was cool. <laughs> I don't know how he did. Like, you came up and started massaging his head and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, what the fuck was that? That was rude. It, he's short, and it was shiny. I tell you oh, what, man. he has good stories. I mean, he Joe, does. he, I mean, you didn't hear, we were talking about some things beforehand, but that guy's got great stories. He's a chill dude. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, of course, we had to ask him the question, and some other stuff, too. So let's hear from Joe. So, what's going on, Joe? I was just down uh, for my son's 30th uh, birthday and decided uh, it's a good place to come to check out some bikes. I've been riding bikes all morning. Right up. Uh, what bikes you ride? I uh, started with the Ninja 650 uh, ABS. Then I went on a uh, Harley Sport Glide. Then I went on a um, Yamaha MT-07 uh, Indian Scout and followed it up with a Harley Deluxe. Nice. Um, that sounds like a really good spread of bikes that you rode there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, did you fly out here? I did. I flew in from Seattle. Yeah. Uh, how was the flight? Awesome flight. Yeah. Easy, easy, easy to come down. I wish I, I, I would have taken my, my Harley down. I have a, <laughs> a 2017 Heritage, but yeah. uh, the, I, this was kind of a last minute thing and, and didn't get a chance to plan things out. Nice to meet you, Liza. <laughs> <laughs> You're so disrespectful. Why do you it's do cool. these to our friends? It's cool. Um, yeah, I wish I, I, next next time I'm going to ride down. Cool. Uh, I don't know if this show is always in Vegas or in nope. Southern California or no, it's, uh, Columbus, Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, always in Ohio. No, it moves. Uh, it's been in Orlando, Columbus. This is the first time in Vegas. Ah, well, bummer. I missed it. So, how long have you been listening to the podcast? I guess I got turned on to it about a uh, yeah. Yeah, no, actually, I have to say it was the Norman Reedus. Uh, ride episode, and I was like, "Oh, these 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 guys sound like uh, something I need to be listening to," <laughs> and and I've learned so much by listening. How'd you get into riding and wrenching and all that? Ooh, well, I, I started riding uh, in college. I had a uh, Suzuki GS 450T, I guess it was. Uh, nice nice bike. Uh, had it through college. Then you know, family obligations. I sold it. Then uh, a bunch of years later, in 2001, I bought a uh, um, a Honda 750 um, Ace, so it was the uh, kind of the cruiser style bike. Uh, my uh, my wife at the time, ex-wife now, 
uh, forced me to get rid of it, uh, which uh, which uh, w was a good signal. Um, and uh, and then recently, I, I just got uh, a, a 2017 um, Heritage Harley Heritage. Uh, started riding that, put a lot of miles on it. I actually spoke to you guys. Who's your favorite misfit? Don't say Mike. <laughs> Don't say Mike. Oh, I have to say Emma. Oh yeah. yeah I got, you you I got, hear that shit, of, Emma? I got a kind of a, uh, a crush on her. You know, any 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 one woman who can wrench on a bike and. I think uh, I think Emma is a misfit's favorite misfit. Yeah, I think I, that's true. And, and all the all the the information, just the wealth of information that that she has, it just uh, I'm always blown away. You plan on gaming tonight, gambling a little bit, uh, maybe win a free dinner. Back oh. tonight. Uh, I've been here since Thursday. Oh, okay. So I, I couldn't get to the show until today, but uh, we've been running around. And we just saw Blue Man Group last night, and I'm not a big gamer. Because yeah. I, I like to keep my money to, to buy like things for my motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not into to losing it. So okay, we got a question for you. I think you might know what that is. What is your up the butt bike? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about this. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of partial to the old uh, knuckleheads, uh, you know, so 30-something, maybe early 40, you know, Harley knucklehead. I don't know. It just it just reminds me of, you know, when I was young. Yeah. The man's got good taste. What do you think, Liza? Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Like a good knuck. <laughs> so what have you guys been riding? What, what, we, what have we been riding, Jim? Oh, we've been riding all sorts of things, they've been, God. They've been riding my winnings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's what happened. Liza goes downstairs to uh, uh, play with some slots as we're getting ready, right? Like literally five minutes when she sits down, she wins $1,100. She texts us, and I'm going, this is bullshit. This is not true. So she sends us a photo of the winning, and then as we're walking down there, she goes, I won another $800 or whatever, like that. And, and we just, she fed us some steak. Can you rub my head again and I'll go play slot? <laughs> <laughs> that was some good steak. Cool. Nice. nice. Well, um, I'm glad you hooked up with us. I know we've been playing phone tag. Well, I've been also, every time I, you know, I get an email, I'm, I'm out on another bike. <laughs> nice. There's a lot to see and do here. Um, make sure you go down and say hi to our friend Terry at Scully. Try one we'll of do. the Scully helmets. I'll have to check those out. Tell them we sent you. We'll do. We'll do. You know, I was here with Austin. Uh, it's, it's, it's I think that's a great deal to be able to, to put your bike up for rent and also rent a, a bike. I, I'm, I'm, you know, my next bike, I will rent one from Twisted Road just to get a good feel for it before I go out and buy one. I think that's a smart move. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for doing this interview with us, man. Appreciate it. It's cool to get, like, people who listen to us actually on the show and, you know, kind of completes the circle a little bit you know what i mean well i, I feel like i know everyone it's, it's, it's you know every weekend i'm listening and uh, i really appreciate all the information you guys provide and all the fun and and uh, and good times cool thanks, thank man. you yeah. so another cool. another uh interview that i got to do when you guys were out doing test rides um, I went to go talk to the guys at Suzuki and, uh, at first they were, they were surprised when I said, Hey, I want to interview, you know, you guys about the bikes because they had, uh, who was it? Jared Meese and, um, uh, Roger Lee Hayden. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, was it like Tony Elias? Oh, no, Tony, Tony Elias yeah. and yeah. Roger Lee Hayden. They're like, yeah. don't you want to interview them? Oh, I can put you with them right now. I'm like, ah, yeah. no. <laughs> Jared is uh, over in India. Yeah. I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, next time, next time. But one of the things about going to something like AIM Expo is they are unveiling new bikes. Um, not just new bikes, but sometimes new versions. <clears throat> so I went over... Um, I got Avery from Suzuki to tell me what's been going on with Suzuki. And here's something I, I, I found very interesting. Two bikes that are uh, kind of institutions there, the first being the SV650. Mm. It's had a lot of changes. Mm -hmm. There's some really cool stuff going on with that. I really like the new version. Yeah, it looks great. Yes. Trellis frame. Mm-hmm. So we we went over there to talk about that and some of the other bikes and oh um there's some really cool stuff going on with brakes over there. So here is Avery with Suzuki. Hi, um, I'm Avery Innes. I'm the press relations uh, manager at Suzuki. Um, I've been with Suzuki in one capacity or the other since the uh, 80s. Uh, most of my career with them was on the technical side. And over the last uh, few years, I've actually worked in the sales and marketing side, which is a real advantage for us because obviously our products are very technical and it works really well because I then can communicate with consumers and the press about the nuts and bolts, what makes Suzuki's really special. Well, not just that, from what I understand, you have some uh, quite a bit of experience in the saddle yourself. Yeah, I uh, ride a lot. I I currently own about 20 motorcycles. <laughs> so I my everyday bike is a V-Strom 1000, but I also have DRZ400s, and my wife has a DR200S. In fact, she actually has a couple of them. All of my uh, kids ride. Um, their kids ride so it we're a suzuki family and we just ride that's awesome so i wanted to talk about some of the then the new models or the changes to models i mean right away we're sure we're here looking at the sv650x and the sv650 is a real staple in the motorcycle industry um, it can either be an introductory bike for somebody or it can be a legitimate race bike it can do it all it, it truly can do it all, and that's the great thing about it. The motorcycle is well-suited for someone having their first uh, good street bike, but it also, as you pointed out, can be a race bike. In fact, a Suzuki SV650 won the inaugural Moto America Twins class. In fact, you can see the motorcycle over there by the uh, Yoshimura uh, race ring. Um, the bike has just been a fantastic bike since inception. There's a lot of things that make it that way. Um, we, we have a great legacy of building V-twin engines, not just for our cruiser line, but the performance bikes. Going back to the 90s when the TL1000S and eventually the TL1000R were developed, we created what's called an L-twin engine, which is a V-twin with a perfect 90 degree uh, cylinder uh, angle. And the advantage behind that L-twin engine, whether it's the 1000 in a V-Strom or the 650 in an SV or a, a V-Strom 650, is it has perfect primary balance. And what that means is even though the rider will feel the power pulses, they're not obtrusive, they're not harsh, um, you don't need to add a 
a counterbalancer shaft or a balancer shaft. I apologize. That's You'll all have right. To edit. I can edit it. I almost never have that on, and it was just, a telemarker. Just come in uh, the okay. counterbalancer shaft. Right. And one of the great advantages of an L-twin engine is you don't need a balancer shaft. Um, they that means you don't have the extra weight and complexity. So there's some motorcycle companies that are using parallel twins in adventure bikes, and whether they're 1,000 cc's or even smaller things like uh, 700s, that means you have to have some type of balancer shaft to control some of those harsh vibrations. And then you have to have a mounting system in the engine that weighs more. So we we don't have to worry about that. And, and an L-twin engine will rev really, really good. Um, even though they were originally intended for performance bikes, um, these engines were adapted very, very well for all around street use on the SVs, not to mention adventure and touring use in the V-Stroms. So they're, they're just great engines. We're very, very proud of them and they're incredibly reliable too. So on this SV650X, mm -hmm. it looks like it's got some cafe lineage, some racing lineage. So what, what is new and different on this version? Well, the, the X is obviously um, styled differently. You, they've used a, a headlight cowl that almost mimics a bikini fairing. Mm -hmm. um, that is mounted above the headlight, so that is something that turns with the handlebars. But they've also added some very attractive color-matched panels that run below the edge of the fuel tank. And you can see where we're standing, it mimics a frame-mounted half-fairing. Right. So it truly has that, that half-fairing or that uh, cafe look to it. And then they've added some other styling elements like the slots that are they're there in that uh, cowl above the headlight. Mm -hmm. Those slots are used on certain race machines to, to, to manage how the air flows over the surface. Um, back in the older days of uh, road racing, when you saw the slots on there, what they're trying to do is, is control how the wind is affecting the front end of the bike, the steering of the bike. So that doesn't really happen here. It's a styling exercise, but it looks absolutely great. Now, the other thing about the X is it's just not a styling exercise. It's a truly uh, different setup. The most uh, noticeable thing when you approach the bike, you realize it doesn't have tubular handlebars, it has clip-on handlebars. Right. So even though it's not uncomfortable, it does have a more sporty position um, for the rider. Um, it uses a remote reservoir brake master cylinder similar to what we have on a GSXR. And then the seat has a is a pleated cover. It's a little bit plusher, so mm -hmm. the seat height is a couple tenths of an inch higher on the X than the standard bike. The standard bike is about 30 inches. This bike's closer to 31 inch seat height, which is still pretty darn low. Um, and then what's new on the X, not to mention all of the SVs this year, are brand new brake calipers. Ooh. And the bike's always had very good stopping power. Now it has exceptionally good stopping power. So they went from a two-piston, what's called a slide pin style caliper, and that's where there were just two live pistons on the outside of the caliper. Now there's um, four piston calipers. So there's 
two pistons inboard, two pistons outboard. So you have two four piston brake calipers on the front grabbing two 290 millimeter brake rotors. And we're talking about a motorcycle that, that's fairly light. It's, it's 430 pounds. So when you have th that kind of good controlled braking uh, performance, it's just gonna be a hoot to ride. And, and that's a good way to describe any SV. They're just, a, they're just a lot of fun to ride. Well, and not to mention, it's got ABS. It does have ABS. I think every bike should have ABS now. And, and a lot of people think the same way. Mm -hmm. um, we're adding more and more ABS models to our lineup. You can get the SV650X, which is only offered with ABS. We also have the SV650, the ba uh, not really the base model, but more of the standard CD mm -hmm. model. That is available with ABS or without. So some people still may, may think that they can can brake as well as ABS, but the reality of it is these systems are very, very good, very reliable, and as they're used on more and more motorcycles, it'll it'll bring the price down. I, I'm glad to see it going that way. Yeah. I want to know. Tell me about some of the other bikes that are new here. Well, what's new? What's what are people excited about? <laughs> well, there's a lot of excitement about the SV650X, yeah. which we we just spoke about. Yes. There's some uh, excitement about the uh, V-Strongs. Let's, uh, let's go over there and take a look. Fantastic. And while we're passing the Van Van, mm -hmm. I think these are cool bikes. How, how well are they doing? They're doing pretty well. It's, it's, it's a really neat motorcycle. In fact, it has one of the most advanced fuel injection systems of any motorcycle out there. And, and you look at the Van Van, it's got an incredibly low seat height. They're, they're about $4,600 and they totally look retro, but it's yeah. a modern motorcycle that looks retro. And you can see they got those balloon style tires, but the EFI system makes the bike just incredibly easy to operate. There's no choke, there's nothing like that. All of the EFI components, except for the oxygen sensor in mm -hmm. the pipe and the cylinder temperature sensor on the engine, everything is in one component. So the fuel pump, the end of the fuel pump is also the fuel injector the throttle position sensor, all of those other parts are all in one assembly that is actually a little bit smaller than a conventional carburetor. So you just push the button and you ride. It's, it's a great thing. Well, I love that you're pointing out these things, these features that people don't see, but that are adding to the reliability and safety. Yeah. So let's go see, you wanted uh, yeah, the V-Strom. Yeah, the, the V-Strom. So there's a new V-Strom, the Wee-Strom, yeah? <laughs> the Wee-Strom. See, the... Um, like the SVs, the V-Stroms use the L-Twin engine. Mm -hmm. In fact, a couple years ago, when, when we did a revision on the 650, we started using the actual SV engine, which right. in the past, we would take the SV engine and we would change the tuning of the valve train, for example, so the bike created a little bit more torque than peak power. However, the new generation SV engine is so good, it actually makes more torque than the previous one. They made engineering changes so that the bike had very little mechanical loss inside the engine, so fuel economy went up. So they were able to increase not just peak power, but torque, and it made that SV engine very, very good to use in the SV650. So the SV650 went from just a great 
all-around bike, excuse me, the V-Strom 650 mm -hmm. went from a great all-around bike to being actually a spirited bike. It was yeah. a lot of fun to ride. And um, it got the styling in uh, uh, 2017 that kind of mimicked the, the beak style that mm -hmm. the 1000 already had. Yes. That, that is a distinctive Suzuki-created look. Uh, we were the first company to develop that style. It was used in the 80s on the DR800 Paris to the Car Rally bike. How so cool. Suzuki actually developed this look. There, there's a reason that it looks that way. Obviously, that look is synonymous with adventure bikes and yes. performance off-road bikes now. But it was designed in a way to keep a lot of debris and things away from the rider and the rest mm -hmm. of the motorcycle. It also created a different platform for how the lighting would look. If you look at the original uh, DR800 bike, you can even see the influence of the original Hans Muth Katana in this design. So with the ability to now stack the headlights, the high-end low beam on top of one another, mm -hmm. instead of side to side, the chassis narrow, the way that the airflow flows over it, you do get a much cleaner flow of air over this uh, fairing design than the previous one. Little to no buffeting. I, so, I have to say, just it looks like a lighter bike to me. Is it has it lost weight? It's lost it, a little bit of weight. But yes. the design makes it look more chevelt. Yeah, the the term that I always use is it's compact mm -hmm. and it's it's slippery. Mm. And frankly, when when you look at it and you you're looking at styling based upon function. From that standpoint, it's a very stylish bike. Yeah. You know, it, it's if you look if you were looking at it like a road racer, it may not make sense. But as a as an all-around motorcycle or a uh, adventure bike, it's absolutely what it is. And I like the the model you have here that you guys have set up with the adventure package, and it's got the uh, the aluminum cases and it's got the crash bars. But yeah, that's it, the thousand. Let let me. Uh, touch base yeah. about the new 650 yes. XT Touring. Okay. This is a new model. All right. And there's a there's a few really great things about this. It comes with Suzuki side cases. We've mm -hmm. had these side cases for a few years. They were originally designed for the uh, 1000. When we redesigned the 650 uh, two model seasons ago, the back portion of the motorcycle was redesigned so dimensionally it matches the thousand so what that did is it allowed not just our accessory people it allowed the aftermarket accessory people to develop one accessory that would then work over several models i love that i have a friend with an fc6 mm -hmm. with the luggage and he bought an fc1 nothing transfers yeah over. that you got to have some forethought when yes. you think about uh, motorcycles like this so what's every v-strom whether 650 or 1000, comes with three extra key tumblers. This is a perfect example why. Mm -hmm. This new Touring model, the locks now on these saddlebags are the same as the ignition key. So mm -hmm. you have one key operation Great. for the bike. Now the new Touring model comes with those side cases and you can see it comes also with the accessory bar yeah, the and the guards. center stand. And the, one of the greatest numbers associated with this bike is it's under ten thousand dollars you're awesome. you're ready to ride anywhere you want for nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars and what a bargain i mean there's nothing else 
within thousands of dollars of it, even naked. It's a fantastic motorcycle. The other thing too, by using these cases, mm -hmm. these Suzuki side cases, this is this bike is set up the way it's set up. It's about 10 inches narrower than if you were to set it up with aluminum panniers. Right. So it's it's nice and compact. Once again, it's a it's a great bike to to use. This bike is aimed a little bit more at pavement touring, mm -hmm. even though we base it on an XT, which has the spoke wheels with the tubeless adventure style tires. Right, the spoke wheels. Yeah. They're, spoke wheels are more compliant yeah. when you ride on surfaces that may not be as smooth as a paved road. But one of the advantages to basing the touring model on the XT is it also adds the lower engine cowl and the hand guards to mm -hmm. it. So um, some people would think, well, if it's pavement oriented, why not the cast wheels? Well, we wanted to add as much to the motorcycle for the for the rider as possible. So that's why we chose uh, the XT, one of the and, good and reasons. And what I like about this, even though it's spoke wheels, this is tubeless tires. That's exactly Because right. the spoke system doesn't go through the rim like many bikes yeah. do. It's got a raised edge that it goes through. So it's not going through right. the rim, it's going through the raised edge. It right. Makes there, a lot there's of sense. A, yeah, there's a pair, a pair of uh, ridges that mm -hmm. the spoke comes off of. And there's some other um, builders that have some spokeless style, or excuse me, spoke style wheels that are tubeless. However, um, you may notice when you look at the bikes, the head of the spoke is on the outer bead rim. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is, is if you take an impact there, you're now damaging not just the rim, but you're damaging the spoke. It actually, you could say it compromises the long-term reliability of the wheel. Um, I do understand that that is a way that, that some of these companies had to develop mm -hmm. a, a wheel to get around some other folks that might have a patent or whatnot. But this system works really good. And you can even see that the rim is designed where it has extra holes in it. Right. So say one of these holes gets damaged, you could actually pull the spokes out, rotate the wheel slightly, use the good holes, yeah. and continue to use the rim. That's so cool. there's some, once again, it's that Suzuki forethought. Suzuki cares that. a lot of how the owners are going to live with their bikes long term. All right, so we got room. We got time for one more bike. What's well, the one thing you really want to? Well, let's talk about the thousand. Okay, let's the talk about yes. Yeah. So we took the V-Strom 1000 um, XT and we added uh, a number of our uh, Suzuki accessories to it to make the adventure. Now this bike is oriented more at, at true adventure touring. Mm -hmm. So what you're seeing here is is it already has the um, plastic belly pan. If you're gonna do serious adventure work, you might wanna use our metal pan. It has hand guards. The XT has a uh, fat tubular handlebar. Those are great. They damp vibration better mm -hmm. than a conventional handlebar. It also has a center stand. And I believe I, it, I'm already mentioned it has the accessory bar. I actually yeah, have a V-Strom that's set up similar to this. And um, I love the fact how well my, my uh, auxiliary lights mount on that bar. But what's really, really special here is this now has a set of 37 liter aluminum panniers on it. This stainless steel mounts, they clip on and off. You can take these bags off in 30 seconds, both of them. They're just, they're, they work real well. We have auxiliary strap kits. You can carry them into the overnight lodging. 
true adventure guy's probably doing it under a tent. But um, it's a fantastic it's a fantastic deal. And it's got the upside down forks. It has inverted forks. Yeah. In fact, this has some of the best suspension of any uh, adventure motorcycle. And you know when you consider that the base um, V-Strom 1000 is twelve thousand nine ninety nine, and this bike with all of this gear ready to go touring is only fourteen thousand five ninety nine. So its closest competitor, even naked, is still several thousand dollars more. Right. That's that great Suzuki value. Um, one more thing I want to add about the um, V-Strom 1000s, it's true, of course, of the new adventure. It has probably the most advanced braking system out there, most advanced ABS system. It's the only Japanese adventure bike mm -hmm. that has an IMU, an inertia measurement unit, linked to the ABS. So um, there's three axes of movement that it measures. It measures uh, down pitch, and it measures left roll, right roll, left yaw, right mm -hmm. yaw. So essentially you're, you, almost every movement that would be related to the action of the brakes. So this braking system, we call it the um, motion track combined ABS um, braking system. And what's great about it is, say you're coming into a corner pretty hot and you're, you're over-braking with the front. You're just accidentally doing too much, especially what if you're on, a say, an unimproved road. If the nose starts to pitch down, it, the braking system is going to realize the rider's over-applying the brakes and actually will remove some brake pressure off of that front brake and can actually apply it to the back if that'll help the attitude of the motorcycle. Same thing will happen if it's turning into a turn because it's measuring all those different axes. It doesn't measure pitch up because that's not related to braking. But the rider still has independent control. The right hand still operates the front brakes. The right foot still operates the rear brakes. But that ABS system is so advanced it can balance the braking force. It can add braking force to, to a back instead of the front or vice versa to help the motorcycle's chassis stay at the best attitude for the riding condition. The bikes are smarter than us. The bike is certainly smarter than <laughs> us. Prettier than me for certain. That's a lovely looking motorcycle with the uh, metallic blue accents on it. But the, the bike, it, it's designed in a way that it, you don't have to defeat the ABS. Like right. a lot of people in the adventure community, they they have this impression that they need to be able to turn off the ABS. I was gonna ask that question, yeah. Well, when you have a braking system like this that'll actually overcome the challenges you have with conventional ABS, you don't need to disable it. Most adventure riders that, that I know and I ride with, their common mistake is they overbrake on the, uh, the front brake and they'll tuck the nose. By far, that's the most common mistake with a large adventure bike on a, on a dirty or silty road. This system helps alleviate that. Um, I've had a chance to test this back and forth with my V-Strom, which was a generation earlier mm -hmm. than this. The system's very seamless. The, the rider doesn't notice what's going right. on. It, it works really, really well. Um, so 
riders don't need to worry about, oh my God, my bike is taking control over my riding situation. It's not like that at all. It, it took me some different exercises to be able to actually understand when the bike was doing those things to help me. Um, it's a fantastic motorcycle. When you look at the price and you look at what you get and you have that, that classic Suzuki reliability, my bike is a youngster in the V-Strom community. It only has 45,000 miles on it. We know of a couple guy, there's a fellow who's the lead technician for Delta Airlines. I hope Delta isn't upset that I mentioned their name, but they should be proud of this gentleman. He has 400,000 miles on his V-Strom. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what a testament to the motorcycle that someone who is a skilled technician that he's you think about it, his whole life is about doing things technically right to make sure that the passengers on an aircraft are safe. He trusts his personal safety to a Suzuki V-Strom and he's done it for 400,000 miles. What a, what a great testament well, to a motorcycle. I, I thank you for sharing this with me. I mean, I, I wasn't aware that the SV650 and that the V-Stroms are all new. Yeah. And, uh, but because these are models that have been around, it's a motor that's been around, it's coming in at a price range that makes it more affordable for people, but throwing in new technology that a lot of bikes don't have. So thank you for filling me in. This is great to know yeah. all the little hidden details on them. Yeah, I, I'd like to add one more thing. Yeah. And once again, thank you for the opportunity sure. too. For 2019 alone, in our whole lineup of motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, we have 30 new models or models that are significantly technically changed. 10 of those models alone are our brand new redone King Quad 750s and 500s. Mm -hmm. But when you look at bikes like this, not to mention we have our 2020 Katana that we're gonna show to the public in the United States here pretty soon. Yeah. You can see that we're on the upswing. We've been posting sales gains in every category. We're, we're fortunate we're the only OEM able to do that and you know by building stuff that folks want at a good price that's reliable looks good all of those things um, we're happy that our customers are happy cool well thank you very much for your time i appreciate thank you it. i appreciate it yeah no problem thanks so I was blown away though by the the V-Strom and and the brakes and how it's smarter than we are. Well, yeah. it's not saying much, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's amazing the technology that's just coming into the bikes that aren't like the highest highest end race bikes. How how things are coming from race bikes down into the the everyday bikes for people. Right. I'm like, just fascinated by it. Yeah. Racing improves the breed apparently. Well, like ABS is almost standard now. Yeah. Yeah, so cool. Um, so there was uh, another thing that two of us did and not the other. Ate a whole bunch of seafood. And this falls into the just show up bit. Yeah. So another event that was happening there um, was Supercross. Okay, before we get into that, can we say how awesome the reps at, uh, was it Icon are? So yeah, what oh, else yeah, Amanda is, um, and uh, Kat. Kat. 
Yeah, so we uh, we ended up connecting with um, with Icon, and I think we've all we all I, I dig their products. I think they 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 do cool stuff. They've always been kind of cutting edge, mm-hmm. and they've been involved in women's gear for mm-hmm. quite some mm-hmm. time. And uh, and we had some in- interesting conversations around that. Oh, yeah. yeah, I forgot to mention that I did the women in power sports uh, gathering, which was really cool. There was like I don't know sixty women. Y'all motherfuckers there. got chocolate and free martinis <laughs> and booze. And shit. I, know. I was like, what? Hold on. We got it, or you got it? I, well, I got yeah. some too by proxy, obviously. But I'm saying, Knock was rolling with me. That's yeah. right. You see this T-shirt? Yeah. I'm her bitch <laughs> for the duration of this I'm time. I'm her. I'll take another martini. I'll take another martini. Thank you. I got both kinds. But what no. I'll say is, uh, so we hooked up over the we went over the icon, and we hooked up with Amanda and Cat over there, and they were like the nicest, most mm. generous, funny people. They're great. They're like our people. Like out of that whole show, I felt mm-hmm. more comfortable hanging out with them. With, than anyone by far. Yeah. So, you know, I give them credit for a number of things, but one of them was getting our asses out of the hotel because we we're going to go to a bless show. Actually, we we're going to go to a bless show. Yeah, we um, were trying to figure out what to do for Saturday night. And yeah. when they said that they were going to go to Supercross, which was another one of the events happening in like, town. Fuck it, Supercross. Well, then well, we, all, we also <laughs> heard that they're racing for a million bucks. Oh, yeah. And we also heard that there was like a little shortcut and shit. So it's like, you know, fuck it, let's go. They made it interesting, huh? Right? So, yeah, thanks to Amanda and Kat for getting us fired up and getting us out there. Well, and my shine apparently was still working, too. Because I quickly went on the internet to buy some tickets last minute before we went. And, uh, you know, when you're just going on, um, I don't know where, just like, uh, sure, here, this section, whatever. Mm. Just randomly pick some tickets. We get there and the stadium is packed. Yeah, well, I mean, it was it fun. Packed. It was even before we get. They had free shuttles from the mm-hmm. hotel to the to. It was UNL, what is Las Vegas's, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. UNLB. Out, thank you, and and who's on the bus? But um, Amanda and Cat get on right after we do. So it was kind of funny. So we get there and um, try and find our seats, and the whole place is it's it's just it's packed, mm-hmm. except for where we were sitting. We were in the middle of thirty feet of empty bench what section was that was it like a vip thing that you no. managed to get or something well or? no was... we were in the middle and third row they were awesome seats and we were like the whole place was packed <laughs> and we had third literally on both sides of us 15 feet of empty space we're shilling both peanuts sides like crazy yeah. you know so you don't get like drunk trashy people fucking no. up your program huh? just me yeah yeah <laughs> I was wondering if that was like the Gallagher section where they smashed the, the, it was, it was watermelons, you know? And, and it was bizarre. Yeah. yeah. And it started off right out the gate like, oh, this this is going to be fun. Super everyone was bitching. into it. And they had added this whole big sand section that was right in front of us. It had to oh, be like shit. at least yeah. maybe 100, 150 yards of, of deep ass sugary sand. Deep. <laughs> Looked horrible. Oh, man. And they're coming right off a jump and landing in it and having to go through it. And the other thing is fun is there were all different uh, sizes of bikes and riders, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. They had little kids. Dude, I think the little kids was the funnest yeah. to watch, almost the funnest to watch. Because so, how big was the back wheel on those bikes? Oh, those are like, <laughs> like, like 12 inch wheels. wheels or something, right? Clarifying, wheels. it is interesting, but these were separate classes, right? They're not like separate all classes. classes. Yeah, yeah separate classes. <laughs> and those kids were stacking to the sand because their bikes were just tanky. But but a lot of them were getting through. I mean, yeah. it was a real challenge. And yeah. they were hauling ass. They were hauling ass. And there were some big jumps and everything. How oh, long yeah. was the show? About two, three hours or something like that? Mm, two hours? Hour 
would say something like that. I would say at least and two hours. Yeah, least Jim and I were eating our stadium food, just happy as can be. Oh heck yeah! <laughs> Sitting in our big empty section, watching fucking. If, if you if you haven't if you've been to Supercross, you know what it looks like. If you haven't, it's just fucking chaos. About well, first it starts. We were right after the first turn, so the first turn happens for the whole shot. And then it, it's a jump into this deep sand. So that's right where we were sitting. So we got a bird's eye view of the whole shot, which mm. almost wins races. And and then they go right into this this nutty sand. But they're jumping like probably 30 feet high and probably like, like no joke, at least 50 yards long. I mean, these guys are flying through the air. Mm. But you look up and it's just fucking chaos. There's shit flying everywhere. Oh, we didn't even mention they leave the stadium. The race leaves the stadium. Oh, wait, there's an outside section? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yikes. It leaves, it goes out, and, and there's a whole outside section which you can watch on the big teleprompter, mm. and then they come back in. And I'll say... Mon- How Vegas does that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Mo- I'll say Monster does a good job with the entertainment, you know, because there's there's breaks between races, and they, uh, do a, they do a good job with entertainment. You know, there's fire coming out and all this kind of stuff, but there was a highlight. I, s- <laughs> I saw a Monster truck do a backflip. Yeah. I didn't even see that coming. I'm like, what? It's just, you know, a big monster truck just blah, blah, getting the crowd going. Next thing I know, it it goes right towards this wall, hits the wall, bounces up into the air, and does a flip. It does a backflip. And lands on its wheels. I think it snapped the rear axle and then drove off anyway. A tie rod. Tie rod, okay. Yeah, so it looked, it was kind of pigeon toed, (laughs) dragging its sorry ass out of there. But it got the crowd (laughs) even more amped. And by this point, like, Everyone's like having a really good time and really into it. And even if you don't follow Supercross, like Jim and I didn't, we really didn't know who any of the people were. There were a couple of names I've heard before. Yeah. But this well, is when we, we were understanding the, there were some high stakes here. First thing they said is if the same guy wins all three whole shots, he'll win a million bucks. Unfortunately, he didn't win all three. He was knocked out. But... He did win the first race, mm-hmm. and then he won the second race. And he almost had the whole shot in the second race. Like, mm. he got squeaked out. Right. And if he won the third race, there was a fan. There was a guy in the audience who had somehow been entered or something, been chosen. If this guy won all three races, this kid is going to win a million bucks. What was the name of the racer? Eli Eli Tomac. Eli Tomac. So now, like, everyone's kind of jazzed, and, and it's now, like, it's the final race. We know that Eli's out for the million dollars, but there's this guy who's up at the, up at the like, interview station, and they got a camera mm. on him. Just like some dude. Some yeah. dude. So now everyone, every, like, there's stakes. Like, everybody's rooting for Eli to win this race. Well, you know what's cool is, like, after the first race, okay, Eli won. All right, so that sets the bar. He's got to win the second race. Yeah. Then he wins the second race. And he won him pretty handily. You're like, oh, shit, dude. This is actually Yeah, he exciting. took the lead from the beginning and held it. So now it's looking like this guy has a shot at win- winning a million bucks. Both mm-hmm. guys. And uh, so the third race, um, Eli gets bumped out for the whole shot, and he's in seventh when they come around the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you know how it is. When somebody gets the lead, they start taking off. Yeah, like, how many they- laps was this? Per, Ten laps. Yeah. Ten, oh yeah. shit! Yeah, and the dude, time. I mean, at one point, I mean, there was, you know. Anyway, yeah. So the guy was out to a pretty good lead. Yeah. So he's going around. He's going around, and one by one, he's picking guys off. And I, the whole time, I'm like, no fucking way. The guy's like five seconds behind. I'm yeah. like, there's no way you're making that up. One of yeah. my favorite passes he did. I call it the Cody Webb. 
He, uh, it was a tight turn with a, a wall there, and he bumped this guy into the wall the and bounced of off of him. <laughs> yeah, hip checked him. I got a million dollars on this motherfucker. Get out, bitch. <laughs> he, and he's going, he's picking people off, and everyone. Now, you've got the entire stadium is like you could feel this energy. Wow. And the camera's on this kid. He's got to be in his 20s, right? Yeah. And you're watching him go around. You're He's picking him off, and you're going, Holy shit! Is this gonna happen? Well, you know, he I kept, don't know. That leader is pretty far away. It, mm. it was too, and he kept picking people off in that sand section. It's like he just said, "Fuck it!" I mean, for a million bucks, you'll stay on the throttle. Oh yeah, and finally, it's the last lap, and and he is in second. He's in second. There's a pretty big gap between him, and they go out to the outside section, and they come back, and he's past him, mm. and it's suddenly like, what? Now he's got half a lap to just hold the lead mm. and they're showing on the big camera on the big big screen this kid is losing his shit the whole stadium is losing their shit mm. it was a mutual shit loss happening right there and he goes around and, he can, and he's holding it and the tension is building up and up and he wins and there's fireworks and flames and everybody all at the same time just loses their shit it was amazing it was the best race i've it ever was super seen fun. and i think one of the things that stands on my mind the whole out of that whole evening was remember lies he had about a lap left they were right mm-hmm. in front of us they had come under the bridge and the guy that was leading and he still had like like a second lead so it was like he still if he could he could have won but then he did what did he do he made the fatal mistake <gasps> and mike and mike has learned this lesson too <laughs> Don't look back. Don't look back. The dude looked back. He looked back. I'm like, as soon as you look back, it's like you you just we, lost. We just started you screaming. Just lost the race. Never look back. Never, Never look, look back. back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't wow. but about a minute after that he got passed and yeah, and shout out to Eli, man. One of, not only did he win a million bucks, but that fool in the stands who probably could use a million dollars, he won a million bucks too. It was. Amazing. Now I'm stoked. I want to go to Supercross. Supercross is cool because shit, man. I realize you, for people watching on TV, you couldn't get the excitement that was happening. Yeah, and they've done such a good job of making it um, where you're, you're invested and you understand what's going on. And, and they're telling you about the riders and you, everyone, we were all in. All it in. was great. And every sounds like Vegas. Group. That yeah. sounds like Vegas. 17 black. No, but even all the age. So they had like a, Amateur all stars. They had the little kids. They had the medium kids, and every race was competitive. In yeah, every race, these guys are doing stuff that would kill me and you. Like one oh, of yeah. those jumps would definitely kill me. What they do oh. is so amazing. Exactly. Yeah, man. So, um, all in all, amazing weekend. Then we got to ride home and uh, some hard slabbing. And oh, you saw a show, didn't you? You also saw. Oh yeah, I saw Cirque du Soleil, the Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson show. One. It was pretty good. Yeah. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, just riding home, it was to me just like the sh- the cherry on top. And I was actually thinking at one point, like, well, I could have been home now if I was flying, but I'm not flying. I'm riding, and I'm happy. Yeah, and we saw some <laughs> great parts of California. I mean, the yeah. Central Valley can be kind of boring, but we took some back roads through the Lost Hills. We also smelled some parts of California. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a it was a lot. Of, I mean, we had these little stops and you know truck stops and weird little stores and stuff. And yeah, I don't know. Road trip on a bike's a lot of fun. It was, and now I'm like, ah, I want to do that I, more. I get reminded of how uh, some gas stations in weird parts of any state are like hubs 
and they could get like palatial, you know? Yeah. yeah like, it's yeah. like, how many goddamn pumps are there in this fucking driveway? And there's like a supermarket right next to it on the inside. Uh, yeah, that was and, at the Jimmy Dean Highway. Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, what a great weekend. A uh, big thanks to everyone who put on AIM Expo, to all of our friends there, to yeah. our, our listeners who saw us, to all the people who did interviews with us, um, and to those slot machines. No, uh, everything. <laughs> oh, and you know, another thing we were saying the whole weekend, what, what we really enjoyed about Vegas, the service. It Uh-oh. really is great. People are extraordinarily nice up there everywhere you go i was gonna say it stays in vegas but i will say the service was awesome i mean everywhere the service the people what a great weekend um unfortunately aim expo is not going to be in vegas next year yeah it's going to columbus ohio and somehow even though we love we love our ohio people our friends at cleveland moto (laughs) somehow i don't think it's going to have the same pizzazz that it had yeah. here in Vegas. There ain't going to be no show tunes over there. Ain't no Michael Jackson one show. Ain't going to be no Wagyu steak. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So Give me some lake effect. That's what's going to be there. Yeah, sounds yeah, cold. Yeah. I know. And a big thanks to Emma and the crew for running the show while we were gone. And yeah, thanks, guys. Putting out, putting out a, a podcast. Um, <clears throat> and once again, I just want to thank our Patreon subscribers for helping to make this possible um we had new equipment the equipment makes a huge difference i was able to i didn't have to look for a cheap hotel we stayed at the resort which turned out to be great we barely left there was so much so much to do there yeah they don't want you leaving you're like you're in our ecosystem now buy our five dollar water <laughs> it was it was five fifty for the soda water while girl had the shine over there. Yeah, yes, this is true. <laughs> Knock. It doesn't matter how expensive it is as long as you keep winning. Just remember that rule. Yeah, keep gaming, keep <laughs> gaming. Um, and I want to say you guys were good travel companions too. I had a lot of fun. Pretty decent. Yeah, I, yeah, it's okay. I got one question though. Uh, is it about snoring? No. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> those are several questions that we'll ask some other time. <laughs> but how is it that my Kawasaki, which is essentially the same motor as yours, mm-hmm. more aerodynamic and more comfortable mm-hmm. without a windscreen than yours? That's not true. It isn't. No, it's not. I uh, must be tripping then. That correct. Okay. Any bike with a full windscreen is automatically more comfortable than one without, especially when you're doing the speeds we were doing. But my shit was shuddering. It was like shuddering like a leaf, man. I think it's well, just your head. Like I said, Probably, but I mean, you know. At, at one point, as you said, we were delivering the mail, son. We I, were hauling the fucking mail, dude. <laughs> I would like to point out that I did have the windshield set up at a point where it caused no problems. You then wanted to start changing and adjusting. Dude, everything. I rode it at the <laughs> highest point with the fucking spoiler on at dude, one point. Fuck you both. Dude. I was covered in bugs, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should fucking complain about that. Jim was uh, was a fucking ant magnet or something. And knock, get a Senna so you can uh, chat with us Why along would I, the way. It's worth it. That's like a threat. It's, especially when you're traveling with a group, it's really good. I've done it before. I, it's, it's like, eh, you know, I'd rather just... Think about uh, how I could save the world in my helmet. Well, if you have a sin, Eliza can tell you how. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
All right. I think we're ready to wrap up. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And, yeah, guys. Thanks. Uh, until next year. I hope maybe we can pull together. You think they'll come to Vegas go. again? I don't know. You, you think it was a successful enough a show that, uh, you know. I certainly hope so. But I'll tell you what, Mm. you can go to MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com and uh, we will be posting stuff on our Facebook page when we're going. So Mm -hmm. that's how a lot of our listeners knew we were going to be there. And we talk about it. Yeah, come by. Say hi to us. We're very approachable, mostly. Yeah, (laughs) mostly. A little smelly. If if, if I'm not uh, down there and snoring in my hotel room, come say hi. You almost got pillow whomped. And just just remember... (laughs) Just show up. That's all you got to do. Just show up. So on that note, thanks again for listening. This is Liza. This is Knock. Naked Jim. And we're out of here. Cool, cool. Cool.